You're listening to a DM podcast. Just a quick warning, this podcast series contains discussions about crime, trauma, sexual abuse, drug use and suicide. Listener discretion is advised. I used to rob banks in the 80s and 90s and did 23 years in prison in three different states. It took 30 years to talk about the sexual abuse that happened to me and the spiral into crime, addiction and depression that all occurred as a result. Now, having turned my life around, I talk openly to inspirational people about trauma, survival, transformation and hope. I am Russell Manser and this is The Stick Up. Jeff Fennick is a four-time world champion boxer, won his first world title in 1985 in United Australia when he did it. I've also brought along my good mate Mark Toro Torrington to do this interview with me. Toro's sort of like a Jeff Fennick savant historian, and I just thought it'd be a really good mix. Jeff Fennick, welcome to The Stick Up. Yeah, I've um, heard a lot about this uh, podcast, I'm really excited to be, be a part of it. Jeff, just let's start off where it all starts, mate. You're, you're the son of Maltese immigrants, is that correct? Yeah, my mum and dad both from Malta, yeah, so I'm um, very proud of my heritage, but I was always, I'm, I'm born in Australia, so I was always an Aussie, except most of the times when I'd go around when I was a little young kid, everybody thought I was Aboriginal. Come on, tell them you're an Aboriginal. I'm, I'm, my parents are from Malta, but um, yeah, look, I'm, of course I'm proud of my heritage, but I'm more proud to, to say I was born and raised in Australia. What, what area did you kick off? Would you grow up up here? Yeah, St Peter's. St Peter's. Yeah, mm. I, I went to Maryville as you know when I first turned pro. Um, somebody mm. you would know, George Savis, yeah, uh, from the Maryville Hotel, and yeah, you know, um, he uh, was the owner there, and um, they sponsored me and put me in a little unit in Livingston Road, Maryville. Mm. So, but my upbringing was. Yeah, really in St Peter's. So what was that? What was the family structure? Were you the youngest of, or youngest or oldest? Or? Yeah, I'm the, I'm, the, I'm the youngest of six. Same. Uh, yeah, Same. youngest of six. Um, you know, a little three bedroom house in St Peter's. Uh, mm. But yeah, it was. Um, I don't know it was special. You know, my mum worked three jobs because my dad was sick all his life. Mm. Then had heart problems from just in his, in his early twenties and uh, passed away at fifty seven. But uh, you know, so my mum worked. You know, I'll never forget my mum would. You know, get us breakfast and stuff, go to work, be home in the afternoon, get us dinner, and go to work and work in the middle of the night. So, yeah, my mum was the, was the sole bread, bread bringer at home and she done everything. I was in, um, like, I was in the boys' homes from, a, a, like, I went, I kicked off in the boys' homes in, in 1984 and everyone knew you. All, and and they are all talking about this bloke here is going to be a world champion. The blokes from all the Erco boys, um, er- Erskineville, Newtown, all of those, you were the talk of the town back then. And like, where did, like, I, I just want to backtrack them because they were talking about, here's this kid, he's been through what we've been through, you've been through the boys' home system and you got yourself in a bit of trouble at a young age. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it was just, I was in, just in a gang that we uh, would do, travel to the speedways every Friday or Saturday night, whatever something was on, we'd go and, at the end of the night, we always would always um, hang around looking for other gangs to fight. So um, it was like, a, yeah, something we'd done regularly. We'd go into the city every weekend having fights. And, yeah, we, um, like I said, I never wanted to box in my life. Even back then, I'd never boxed in my life. I'd never dreamt of being a boxer. I never had no ambitions of being a boxer. I wanted to be a, a first-grade rugby league player. I played Matthew Shield when I was 14, Jersey Flegg when I was 15, Jersey Flegg when I was 16, SG Ball when I was 17, SG Ball when I was 18. And then I... Then I I was blessed. I went to a, a youth club one day. Um, we went there to, f- to have a fight, Russ, and we was um, looking for a few of these young guys that we wanted to fight with. They weren't there, and 
as we search the, the whole of the club, the resting room, the weights room, the basketball room, every other room, the last room that was, was it said boxing, the little glass thing on the front of the, where you could see in the room. So we're looking there, these boys aren't there. And I, I noticed a friend of mine from school who played rugby league with me, but it was always also, sorry, the Australian champion, bantamweight fighter named Mark Cribb. So I just went down and sit down to watch him box and I heard this elderly man, Johnny Lewis, who was, said, Mark, it would be great if we had some sparring and me being this little cocky thing that thought, yeah, that I could you know, beat anybody. I'll box him and yeah, the next day we boxed and it was um, something I'll never forget because he built the shit out of me without without trying because I, I'll never forget. They take you know, Johnny Lewis kept... Um, Tell him to take it easy because I'd never boxed before. And uh, but the, the craziest thing was when I got out of there, Johnny Lewis said to me, "You sure you haven't boxed? You're really good and so and so." And I'm thinking in my in my head, Russ, I'm thinking this guy wants me to go back tomorrow so I can get bashed up again. <laughs> and they asked him, "Will I come back?" And I said yes. But in my head, I didn't. I wasn't going to go back. But because my friends were there, and of course me being that little cocky kid, I went back, and my life changed. Wow. What and about that? That one decision. Yeah, hundred percent. And I got, like I said, Russ, he winded me that many times in that first bar because I didn't know how to, you know, see a body punch come or getting punched in the body. Oh yeah, punch somebody in the head, but getting punched in the body was certainly different than getting punched in the head. He was um, a big talk at the time, Mark Cribb, because I think the Cribs ended up out at Mount Druitt, didn't they? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, he was lightweight too. He was a bit heavier yeah, than well, you. Not, well, he yeah. got bigger later, but yeah, yeah. but the Crib brothers, yeah, yeah, yeah Darren were, Mark. Yeah, yeah they were from Mount Druitt. I remember, I remember yeah. them. Wow, that's massive. crazy. Yeah, they, yeah. They, yeah well, I remember him too, was, going to Billy Harrison. He was the Australian champion. Yeah, that's it. He was the Australian champion and stuff. And I don't know, three fights in as an amateur. I became New South Wales champion and Australian champion. Things just happened so quick. It was just like I was I was born to fight. How many amateur fights did you have, Jeff? 24, wasn't it? I had 24 before yeah. I went to the Olympics. I yeah. ended up, I think, okay. 28. Yeah. 28. Yeah. What was your record? Um, I think I lost maybe five. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 And you actually, in that time, didn't you get a bronze medal at the, well, I, I went at the, the World, World Cup? Yeah, well, I yeah. lost in the World Cup. I lost, yeah. well, think of this, I'm yeah. fighting in the Commonwealth, yeah. not the Commonwealth Games. Yeah. They wouldn't let me go to the Commonwealth Games because mm. um, I was too inexperienced, they said. But as soon mm. as the... Commonwealth Games was finished. The mm. bronze medalist from Australia, I fought him and locked him out. Yeah. So, but still, it just it's just the hierarchy and the it's that the, what they, the amateur system. Yeah. But yeah, I went to the Commonwealth Finals. I won a bronze medal. Went to the World Cup in Rome. Yeah. Won a bronze medal in the wow. Oceania. So yeah. I won. Yeah. And then yeah, I went yeah. to the Olympics after yeah, twenty four fights, fighting guys. Yeah. Even in those other tournaments, I was fighting guys who had had 300, 350 wow. fights, two hundred yeah. fights. Yeah. yeah. With, with fifteen and twenty fights. Yeah. Yeah. I remember at the time I was a kid and that, and there was like this thing where Australians didn't trust America, and it was like we got ripped off again. Like uh, you know, um, they got us in the '84 um, Olympics. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, um, but you got a lot of traction from that sort of. But definitely, so that like I said, that made me. I mean, I'll never forget coming home from the Olympics as this, yeah, this Aussie boxer robbed, and well, I was robbed, Dame, because the judges said I won the fight. If the judges give you the fight, you win the fight. But there was a first time in Olympic history there was a jury as well. So the jury overturned my decision. So I came home with nothing. But I'll never forget, I, at the airport, when I left, they interviewed me and I, said, and I was in tears. I said, if they're not going to let me win a gold medal for Australia, I'm going to go home and I'm going to win a world title. Yeah, and you did. You yeah, said yeah, yeah, good. Just, I just wanted to go, just backtrack on it. A kid from St. Peter's, how did it feel when you got your first Olympic tracksuit? Yeah, you, shit, you're saying that, Russ. It's so crazy. yeah. I'm honest to say it, I mean, I'd go clothesline shopping if somebody had a good crack on that on the line, they watched that <laughs> night, it was gone the next day, you know, I'd go to 
to somewhere in the city where where a pair of jeans or something that's twice as big for me so I can put something underneath it and walk out of the store with it. I'd done that all my life. I was a, I was a young kid who had nothing and I'd done that. I'm not, I'm not proud of it, but uh, listen, um, that's how the, the world operated back then. And, uh, you know, um, yeah, I'd done that a lot. And um, when I finally made that team, I'll never forget, like, the people in my area, well, from St Peter's. Mm. Uh, it was it was crazy. They were doing raffles for me, raising me money to help me go over there and have a good time. So I'll never, I can never, ever forget my upbringing and the people in my neighbourhood who supported Jeff Fennick. Yeah, amazing. Oh, look, I was in the boys' homes and I was hearing a lot about you before this all happened. I was in the boys' homes at Derek Boys' home with Craig Gitt and the Gitt family. Oh, and, and well, uh, The Gitts are like my neighbours. Yeah, the I remember Gitts, them. The, the Gitts lived in Silver Street. I lived in Florence Street. So, yeah, we, we were neighbours, yeah. Jeff, just how did it feel going from like a 17-year-old kid, as you said, just sort of clothes shopping and that sort of stuff, to actually fighting at 21 uh, for a world title in front of a whole nation and winning a world title, like a 21-year-old yeah. kid winning a world title in Australia. And we hadn't had a, a recognised world champion yeah, uh, well, for a long time. I was 20 when I won it, but, but the crazy thing is, and again, I, I went through the – I went. I was in Yasma, then I was in the Thornley, Ormond and Thornley. Yeah. The craziest thing is when I got my first $20,000, Russ, I'll never forget this. I said to my best friend at the time, Peter Matreski, I said, Peter, I've just got 20000 I said, shit. If I get twenty, I just want twenty more, more, th- and that's it. I'm done. I'm retiring. This is. I'm gonna have forty thousand dollars. I'm. I'm gonna. And um, it, I don't know. It just. Uh, it just grew and grew, and you know, things just got better and better. And like I said, um, like I said, I was just blessed to be at the right place at the right time and meet the right mentor. You know, again, I'll say it. Um, Johnny Lewis, uh, mightn't mm. be the the greatest in my opinion. I mean, <coughs> Manuel Stewart and there's other guys that have trained that I think are amazing box trainers. But as a people's person and um, as a mentor and as somebody that's going to keep you dedicated and you want to do your sport, there, there's nobody better than Johnny Lewis. I mean, that's why the Kangaroos took him away with him because he was just this guy that you could sit down with and you could talk and he just made you you fall in love with him. I'll never forget. Um, I can tell you a story at Maryville um, RSL. There was a fight night once. You'd like this for us. And um, a few of the boys were there. I won't mention any names, but a lot of the boys, they're watching this fight ringside. And we had a, a, a boy fighting named Eddie Unan. And um, yeah, yeah, and um, Eddie was winning the fight early, and then started losing, got cut, and then got knocked down. And Johnny, being the the old fox that he is, the doctor comes over, and um, Eddie has a cut on his eye. And of course, because of the influence that Johnny had, Johnny said, "Oh, that cut's too bad." So they stopped the fight. Mm-hmm. So it goes to the scorecards. Eddie's winning the fight. May have got knocked out. May have got knocked out. But he, and the crowd goes crazy, and these guys in front. They're swearing at Johnny, fuck you, and this and that, and, you know. So me being, I was world champion, this little thing that, well, personally, I love Johnny. I've just jumped in. And I start, mm. yeah, giving straight back mm. what they were giving Johnny. Um, He's like a father-like thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, more, he was my father. He was like, yeah, and I, and I, and I still love him the, the same way today. So as they were arguing with me, I just jumped out of the ring straight down to him. As I hit to the bottom, I had this little pistol just pointed straight on the side of my head. <laughs> And uh, yeah, 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 straight to the and um, yeah, I didn't know uh, really mm, what to do. I was used to fight with my fist, nothing else, and you know, I'd heard all these stories about everybody because I grew up in that neighbourhood. And but it was, it was, a, it was a wake up call. Johnny, Johnny Lewis is a common theme in a lot of stuff we've done. Like Gary Jubilant talks about him. Joey, like we've had a lot of people talk about the impact of Johnny Lewis. He's like this special guy, this mentor, brings the best out on people. Joey talked about how he settles people's minds, how he, he, he's got a calming effect and allows you to do what you've got to do. 
What is special about Johnny Lewis? He's like a cult leader. In a, in a way, he makes you just believe in him and love him so much. And like I said, if a car was going to go in front of me, and I'd have to, I'd have to fight the rest of the team to push him out of the road to take that. Yeah. The same as if, if somebody was going to yeah. shoot him, we'd all be jumping in front of him. He just had this amazing. Um, yeah, he made him. He, he made you feel loved. He made you feel special. And I mean that if if you've got that, I think you're you're very very you're very very lucky. That's funny. Mike Tyson said something very similar about Castamato. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like I said, I've sat with Mike a million times and when he tells me his story, it resonates with me so much because Johnny Lewis was exactly the same as Castamato. Yeah. Amazing. Just uh, and, and someone like yourself, do you think as a young fellow, like I, I, my father was, my, when you're talking, I'm the youngest of six, my father was really sick with emphysema, so I, I really resonate. But, and, and, and I look back on my own thing and I was mostly looking for a father figure. Do you, do you think you were looking for a father figure? Yeah, I don't know if I was looking, but um, I, I certainly found it. I, I, yeah. Yeah, I wasn't looking. No, I was. I was never. I, I was just a little guy who, um, who was pretty well liked by a lot of the, the, the big guys around the, the yeah. area, the the, the 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 guys who kind of ran the area. Because I was just a little tough kid who, who would yeah, take no shit from nobody and, yeah, go and do things. If you know, you know, if I was asked, I'd always help people. And, yeah, um, yeah, I was pretty loyal. So yeah. When I was in Derek Boys and. The kids from the city were way more advanced. I taught they taught me how to steal Porsches, and they were breaking into sports stores, and they were robbing banks at year earlier. It was just that, and there was a certain kind of toughness to that area. Those kids were renowned for that toughness, and having that toughness, it, you know what I mean. Having that toughness, do you think that's what served you well in the ring? No, oh, without doubt. Um, the, st- the street smart, and, 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 and um, if I never did what I done, I'd have nothing. I would, you know, would have been. Yeah, you, you hear stories about poverty and stuff. Then you, then you travel over to Bangkok and you go to America and you see people that live in the street and washing in fountains and stuff. Then you really know what poverty is. But yeah, but I mean, um, I was blessed. I was one of these kids who was smart enough to to wake up every Saturday morning when the markets open and go down there and get whatever I wanted and mm. leave in the afternoon and and double up on whatever I wanted. I was I was, I was, I was a clever kid that learned. You know, to look after myself without 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 my family, you know, mm. I'd take my mum my mum and stuff presents. Mum, where'd you get that from? Where'd you get the money <laughs> get that from? You know, mum, don't worry about. It. I've got a paper and I've done this, I've done that. But yeah, like I said, um, to the point where I had my my when I had a paper on Russ, I'd um, I got my sister to write me a letter to get out of school ten minutes early because my father was sick all his life. So I said my paper on was a part of the thing that looked after it. I would I would only get 120 papers, but by the time I left the the, the paper shop, I'd have 220 because I'd worked on um. On the on the main road selling papers, but I would just go to the other barrows and take ten of everybody else's barrow. You know, so I was making money all my life. I was one of those smart little kids that yeah, that just was was switched on. And then like I said, I was just blessed to meet Johnny. It was like um, I, I yeah, I can't even say what it was like. Just that I, I, I never wanted to be apart from him. Even like last night, I seen him at the fights, and yeah, just made me inside it made me melt you know I gave him a cuddle and stuff and spoke to him but yeah yeah, because we haven't been on great terms over the last few years for certain reasons and uh, yeah you've done something special together yeah mate. no yeah, yeah. yeah. nobody yeah. never take that away no. from us mate you know four were four uh, world titles in different divisions undefeated first person to do it mm. that's pretty special man like as a, as a kid growing up in the 80s you were what, and I'm not all shit aside. You were what to me represented Australia. Like the passion that you sort of displayed, the determination, the self belief to, to against all odds uh, to take on the world, sort of thing, and still come up trumps when everyone was against you. That pretty much sort of typified, I think, what it meant to be an Australian. You know, yeah, um, well, that passion that you sort of you sort yeah, of had. Yesterday, Russ, I got a I got a letter. If you watch my fight, 
I'm sure you have you, you see in the in the stand there's this, a few young Australian boys with a sign, the Thunder from Down Under, when I fought Nelson. Well, the, the young boy, um, Stephen Combs, who who took that, um, sent me a letter because he didn't have my number anymore because I've always changed my number since then. He um, sent me a letter and I rang him up yesterday and I, I started talking, I started to tear up, but then I knew he couldn't talk to me for like 10 or 20 seconds. He uh, obviously teared up and was uh, couldn't talk because um, he couldn't thank me enough because when he got there, I brought him his tickets, I looked after him, I let him oh, well. mix with us and it really, yeah. yeah. It, yeah, yeah, to get that recognition, and that's when you know you've made it, mate. Yeah. That's when that's when I know that I'm super proud of myself. When um, whew, thirty odd years later, somebody can say, "I remember you helped me," and I was at your fight, and yeah, yeah. My mum just rang me today to say that you got your fourth world title. Mm. It was pretty special to me. Oh, I got man. that letter. I will keep that letter forever. Yeah. There's things like for me. There's two things I remember. I remember when we won the America's Cup. And I, my dad was loved boxing, right? My dad's a scouser from Liverpool, England. Loved boxing. And I remember sitting down with my dad and watching you win against Shigoki Shingaki. Man, man, tell us, what was the lead up to that? How did you know, how did that all come about? 20 years old too, 20 years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, yeah. there was an opportunity. Mm. This uh, Japanese guy just won the title and um, my promoter, Bill Morty, um, mm. Believed in me and took a huge gamble and in my seventh fight, me mm. fighting seven deep, yeah. My seventh, my seventh fight, yeah. Hundred and ninety-six days, yeah, yeah. 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 For me to fight for my first world title, hundred and ninety-six yeah. days since the Olympic I, Games, yeah. Well, yeah, since well, the day of pro. pro, you know, yeah. Okay. Pro, yeah. yeah, he believed in me and I believed in myself. So um, I can never forget. Like I remember, and then no disrespect to him, but. They were asking Tony Mundine, and they're also, and they're also, nah, I'm the champion. He's already been 15 rounds. Jeff's never been 15 rounds. Russ, I done 15 rounds a hundred times prior to it getting ready for what I had to get ready for preparations, everything. Same with you. And if you if you're getting ready to rob that bank, you got to know what you're doing, where you're going to go there, what's the extra plan, what's the, you got to know every plan. And I knew everything that I needed to do on the 26th of April 1985 against Satoshi Ngaki, and I am, you know, um. Yeah, and listen, and I'm, and I'm the most honest guy in the world. He wasn't the greatest champion in the world, but I'd had seven fights, and um, you know, I went on then to, you know, to defend my title against Daniel Zaragoza. I mean, Carlos Zarate. Yeah, Carlos Zarate, one of the greatest Mexicans in history. You know, some of the Mexicans I've beaten, and you know, yeah, and I am, like I've done things I think that nobody else, or people don't even realise. Right, like I mean, in my first, I think twenty six fights, I had like thirteen or fourteen world title fights in my first twenty six, and four of them were fifteen rounds. It's, it's, it's unheard of in, in the sport of boxing. But um, yeah, and I don't get the recognition here in Australia. But like I said, as I, as I travel internationally now, people are learning more and more about me. They, yeah, they they know what this little Aussie from um, you know from St Peter's Mayville done. I remember when you won it. I think there was a photo on the front page of the Telegraph, and you just bought a VK. Commodore, and I remember the colour of it. How's that? For yeah, a good well, that, that's a great memory, but the, the great thing was that my great friend Joe Aquilina from Blacktown City Motors gave me the car. <clears throat> we had champ number plates on it, and, yeah, and it was that. a Commodore. Yeah, it was a nice, hot up Commodore, but yeah. Bronze one, it was a bronze, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah I remember yeah, the colour yeah, of it. Yeah, but uh, yeah, so um, my life changed, and I think, you know. Um, did you face the toll poppy soon? How long did until that sort of kicked in? Because. Man, you were so embraced. I'm yeah, so but I'll give you one story. You'll love this, and you, you both will love this. Um, I'll never forget after I won that world title that I defended against Shingaki again. Um, I walked in the Union Police Citizens Youth Club, walked through the door. My father figure was there, standing there, Johnny Lewis. And he said, son, you see that door you just walked in? He exact words were, turned around and get the fuck out. Mm. I said, what? What? Anyway, I was, I don't know what, 
Oh, no one hit me. Turn around, and I start crying, crying. He walks out and he starts telling me a couple of stories that then somebody said that I was here and doing this and acting like I was a, a prima donna, a big head and stuff. And yeah, try to deny, but what he was telling me was true. Yeah. So um, you know, that was that was the first kick in the backside that I got. And that was you know just after I defended my title, but um, it certainly made me um, look. It, it made me realise, and it, it certainly pulled me in the gear for a while. But like I said, the, the the more fame I had, the more fortune I got. You just change automatically. And um, I tell people today that um, anybody that says that, that money doesn't change them uh, are, are liars. And I mean, I've got a, a great story. We were talking about Kerry Packer earlier, you guys. But mm-hmm. I used to love when I was taking in my friends out with Mr. Packer. The first thing, everybody, how everybody says when they see somebody rich, oh, it's not just about the money. It's about being happy and so-and-so. Mr. Packer's answer was quite easy. and It was the same every time. Money's not everything. Son, it's quite obvious you fucking haven't had it. <laughs> That's what he'd say to all of them. I loved it. It's the truth. Yeah, you know, like I said, and look, yeah. yeah and man, where did that yeah. come from? The, the This this Kerry, Kerry Packer, the more I hear it, what an amazing man. And where, where did it all come from? This, Like here it is, you're a kid from St. Peter's. Yeah, Next minute you're crazy. rubbing shoulders with the most richest man in Australia. Yeah, crazy. Yeah. And what happened was when James Pack was to turn 21, I had a call from John Singleton who was great friends with Barry Wood, who was our friend, um, you know, great friends with Barry and his family, the, the boys, Garth and Nat, and his beautiful wife, Wendy. And um, it was about me going to do a boxing exhibition at his 21st birthday. So they're going to put a ring out in the backyard. And so my first thing was, they can stick their money up their bum. I'm not going to go and box in front of all these rich kids. I don't need to, you know. But uh, so as the days went along, I said, look, I'd like to meet James Packer. Mm-hmm. And we ended up meeting, we immediately clicked and we became very, very close friends and there was that incident where his father fell off the horse and took a massive heart attack when he was playing polo. Touch wood that the, the ambulance that came that day was the only one with a defibrillator yeah. or else he wouldn't be here today. Brought him back to life. Kerry put defibrillators in every taxi in yeah, Australia then and yeah, I became his trainer. Travelled the world with him and took some of my friends um, on a couple of tours with us and one of the tours was to Las Vegas and he tells me to bring three of my friends. I told him I didn't need to, Russ. Mm-hmm. I wish I knew you back then, but we didn't need to. <laughs> but um, he says, bring three. So I bring three, we get to the plane, on the plane, the beautiful hostesses you've ever seen, fly into Honolulu. The customs come on the plane for us, we didn't have to get off the plane, then we fly into Vegas, limos pick us up, take us all to our beautiful suites at Caesars Palace. The boys wake up the first day in the morning, they have an envelope under their door with 5,000 US dollars in each of them. Mm. What's this for? That was their... Daily allowance. Daily allowance. So, wow. <laughs> wow. So that's, the that's boys, good even now. Yeah, well, yeah. You can buy a house in Mount Druitt for 25 grand yeah. in them days. Yeah, mm. well, the boys are so excited mm. and stuff. And um, we end up having an amazing trip there. And when he left, um, he gave the boys another large amount of money. Wow. Um, I think around 80,000 US each just as a gift because he won. And yeah. Yeah, the boys. Um, that generosity, yeah. Kerry Packer's generosity. Can I uh, can I just ask yeah. you a question? The story about Kerry Packer, with the Texan billionaire talking about bridging up how much money he had. Is it true or not? And he he talks about he had five hundred million and yeah, definitely, definitely true. Uh, yeah, he says, um, "Do you know what I'm worth to Mr. Packer?" Because he lost a few hands, or he didn't think Mr. Pla- Mr. Packer played the right way. Mr. Packer, now nah, what are you worth? He said, five hundred million. He said, "Stop the game." He called the croupier over and said, "Listen." You're worth 500 million? Are you you're willing to gamble it? Just get a coin and the guy nearly took a heart attack. Yeah. <laughs> in, the, in that same trip, I'll never forget Mr. Packer being super generous and there was a, a beautiful lady that was working at one or two in the morning at, at the Mirage and he asked her the question, what are you doing here and why? And you're working, you're so beautiful. So I've got a family to look after, I've got a mortgage to pay and I'm a single mother and she 
told him how much a mortgage was and that night her mortgage was paid, you know? Wow. Yeah. yeah. Legendary. I've heard a really, yeah. really good story. Very special that, man. That very special very man. Very special man. And so, look, James is an amazing human as well. James, my great friend. Just my first, first one of my first calls when I just had the, my decision um, of getting the fourth world title was James saying, Jeff, I'm so proud of you. As I'm reading, I've got a tear in my eye. So, yeah, James is a great guy as well. I think he loved that I didn't want nothing when I trained his dad. I didn't want money, I didn't train him for money. I didn't do any of that stuff. I trained him to, to try to help him have a, lead a better life and have a better life. And I'm sure I did for the time we were together. Yeah. And I'm really proud of that. So, yeah, so Dave yeah. just liked me because I was just Jeff, just yeah. Jeff. No, nobody, no, it wasn't Jeff the world champion. I was just Jeff. Do you think Kerry Packer was an amazing man too? Or? Oh, without doubt. Yeah. Was, I learnt more just being around Kerry, seeing what those kind of people can do than most of the lessons I learnt in life. So, yeah, I've learnt a lot from Kerry and being around him. What was your, what was your hardest fight, you reckon, Jeff? I think my third world title against Victor Collegius. I fought with a broken right hand and I fought somebody who was maybe the hardest puncher I fought. Yeah. And um, back then my chin, you, you could hit me with a, with an axe. I sparred Jeff Harding every day, Alan McNamara, Justin Ford. I sparred yeah. all the heavyweights and I, you know, nobody ever hurt me. Yeah. And um, yeah, in the first round he rocked me like I'd never been rocked wow. before, yeah. So. yeah. But yeah, I got over it and I never went down and I just, yeah. Did what I had to do, but uh, it was it was my toughest fight because yeah, yeah. if you watch it closely, it's mostly one of the dirtiest fights in boxing history. And um, yeah. it was I was just so proud to be uh, the first guy to mm. be three-time world champion undefeated. Yeah, wow. That um, Samar Pakaroon, when you fought him, tell us a little bit about that. Was was that a step up to fight him? Or yeah, was that I def- went I went from bantamweight to super bantamweight, and he was a really big super bantamweight. So he, big he had puncher too. Yeah, yeah, massive puncher yeah. like him. He just knocked out Lupi Pintor and Juan Mesa, yeah. two of the great Mexicans. He just won the WBC prospect, the best prospect in the world. And yeah, the big talk about him, like, you know, obviously he was one of the greatest Muay Thai fighters in history. Mm. And then he, he changed the boxing and he was knocking everybody out. I mean, mm. knocking them out. So when he came to Australia on a pretty big purse, because then and, yeah, Bill Morty and them all, all were very, very confident that I could beat him. But um, they thought that I had no chance. They bet all his purse. There was massive amounts of money being bet at ringside and um yeah that for me it was a great performance that was one of my again one of my best performances ever but like i said and for me because i i done it in four rounds and you knocked him out didn't you, you stopped yeah, I knocked him out. Him, well i put him yeah, the ambulance had to come and take him from um, the entertainment center but uh, yeah i knocked him out in the fourth round which was for me a huge huge win and now when i go to bangkok oh jeff Fanny champion everywhere <laughs> i walk down the streets because no not because of me it's because he is so loved. Everybody, everybody knows Samar Pakaroon in Bangkok. Whether you're five years old or you're 55 or 105, they he all He went home and became a monk or something, didn't he? Well, he went home and he went to the monastery for a little while. Just he was a little bit embarrassed and stuff, you know. But, uh, yeah, now he's, you, he's out there now training fighters and stuff. So he's doing what... Have you maintained a friendship with him? Or? Uh, when I see him, yeah. I've been over there and, yeah, when I'm uh, in an area or if he's around, of course, I'll go and see him. And What is it with fighters, you reckon? Like, I see... A lot of fighters, they go to these mad wars against each other and they become really good mates after it. Yeah, well, you realise what you've gone through to get to that to that stage or that when that war is just about to start. And so it's it's it's, it's a respect. Like I said, I'm different than everybody else. Sam, I don't I don't like to shake hands before the fight, or I don't I don't stare at people before the fight. I just look down at I don't look in their eyes. People say, "Oh, they he won the stare." That's not that stares don't win fights. Yeah, you, your fists win fights, and, you, and your, your head, your brain wins fights. But I'm just different, like I said. But I always after every fight, win, lose or draw, I'm straight to my to my opponent and uh, and to his team, and I'll congratulate them because I I know what I went through to get there. And they were doing the similar that I was. Jeff, can I ask you? Um, you had so much success in your twenties 
I mean, it's it's the maturity of a 20-year-old, as we know, as we get older, isn't a lot, you know what I mean? And having so, so much success, almost being, feel, you must have felt un, unbeatable at one stage, and oh. then when you lost to Azuma Nelson in Melbourne, how did that feel the next the next day or the next week? Or? Oh, wow. It was the most shattering experience of my life. It was, yeah, I know, man. Yeah. You know, I, yeah, it was terrible. But like I said, as as you grow, you talk about maturity. And I sit down and think, and now I think to myself, wow, how lucky was I that that, that, that happened to me? Because um, it, made me the, it made me the person I am today. It made me the – it shaped me to do what I have to do today because without – you learn more from losing than you do from winning. absolutely different. And um, I know that for a fact and I – so so happy that I lost and I lost then I mean look um, people people tell me about now me getting my fourth world title would I have liked to have got it back then of course I would have liked to have got it. I would have had four world titles I would have been this much more you know, celebrated fighter getting much much more money but when I think of it today I'm much happy that it came out I wouldn't be married today I met my wife during that time that I was back at home had I won that fight I would have been in America you know, celebrating training doing all that Bullshit stuff and being being a bigger dickhead than I was when I was, was three time world champion. I don't even like who I was when I was three time world champion because I I got everything for nothing. I, you know, and I, and I took it for granted. I, yeah, what was I began? I said, oh, no, I, I used to say to everybody, no, I'll never change. I'm always going to be. Of course, I changed. You know, I, th- I thought I was yeah, I, th- I was invincible. Yeah, I thought I yeah, do anything I wanted to do. I could, you know, I, yeah, if I at the back of the line, I get to the front of the line. If I go into the bar, they give me. Drink vouchers, so yeah, yeah. I don't like that person. I remember um, seeing in the Zuma Nelson uh, Jeff Fennick one fight. Um, there was Bruce Willis and all these celebrities in the crowd and that sort of stuff. Like just um, being able to fight in front of them. Did, you, did they give you any feedback after it all? Yeah, no, yeah. but that, that didn't really bother me. Yeah, um, yeah when mm. you think of it later on, it's amazing. Mm. Like mm. Jordan and then we all at the fight. But um, yeah, back then I was just a little guy from yeah, some some Peters Rave. I just wanted to go out and, and prove the world wrong, you know, and I proved that I could. I, that I was invincible, and uh, like I said, you know, right, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you something because you like the trust. They, they just that, that big story on, on Michael Jordan. Yeah, the, I went to Olympic Games. At the Olympic Games, when you go there, there's a few things that are amazing. You march, you march in front of the world and your country. You know, you fight, and then you have this amazing party where you celebrate with all the people from all around the world. I didn't march, Russ, because I had to fight in the first day, and I, my priority was trying to win a medal for Australia and forget, forget about March forget about people seeing me on TV I wanted them to see me beat the best fighters in the world so I didn't do that then when I won the, the medal and it got reversed um, everybody said Jeff don't go home don't go we're gonna have the party we're gonna and you know I don't mind the party being with my mates and stuff you know so I got on the plane the next morning I went home and um, I missed the party and then um, you know I I uh, think about it why would you do that because I never went to America to have a party. I never went to America to march. I went to America to win a medal. I didn't get that, so I came home. That, that was my mindset, and that was my mindset throughout my whole career. What would you have done or, or you would have given away to win that gold medal when you wow. compare it to... Yeah, yeah. Give everything. Would you give away world titles? Ah, yeah. I'd give my world titles when I'd play first grade football. I loved it, but I mean, yeah. my, to be the first ever Australian Olympic gold medalist, wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah they could have all my world titles. And I wanted, I wanted to stay... Um, as amateurs, I, I spoke to the amateur association. I said, I only want one thing, one promise was that Johnny Lewis was going to be in my corner when I, when I fought at the next Olympics. They said they couldn't promise it, so I turned pro. And the square up against, was it Jeremy Coffey, who was the original? Steve McCrory. Steve McCrory, Steve yeah. McCrory was the gold medalist. Yeah. He, was the, he was the gold medalist in that fight, and you went on to fight him as a pro and beat him. 
Yeah, I knocked him out in the 14th round. I fought, I fought him with a broken 14. hand, but um, yeah, 14th round, I stopped him in a, in a crazy fight, and he could fight. I mean, um, like I said, um, if you go through some of the people who I fought in their records, I fought guys who could fight, you know. Let's talk about your hands because it was a well-known fact. You fought a lot in pain. Mm. Like people, like I mean, I, I throw if I got a sprained fucking wrist and I throw a punch in the bag, I just go fuck. I'm not doing that. I, I sparred in pain. I'd get needles for sparring, and my hands were um, well. What used to happen? The, the, these two knuckles used to stick out like that. So every time I'd punch, I'd punch it on one, it would break back of my hand. My back of my hand, <laughs> were, were, they were all, all separated apart. But then now I had wedges cut out and, and pins put in there where they said to me that that's how I was going to be for the rest of my life. So I thought, well, if I wipe my backside, it's going to be nice. But um, yeah, yeah, and that's, they, they, they rust, they never stayed. They yeah. always came back. And they always came back and they preluded that little bit where I still was in pain. They never, they never could fix it and make them both straight, you know? Yeah. What about, uh, I was talking to a motocross rider, one of these freestyle motocross riders yesterday, and he told me this, and he was telling me how he broke his back, how he broke his pelvis. When you break your back, when you break your hand, what's the fucking mindset to fucking put them gloves back on? You know how painful that's going to be. You know what, Russ? It used to hurt me more for me to punch you flush, if I hit, especially if I hit on the on the head or the elbow where it was really a, a bone that was strong. It hurt me more than I hurt them. So um, it was crazy. But um, my worst injury through boxing was when I, I, I cracked my whole sternum in half. <laughs> so my sternum was broken in half and I, I didn't Is that know. from a punch? From a punch, yeah, and it was from just a punch sparring, and I didn't know, and I, I don't know if I, re- if I would have broken in half then the first time, but I knew I felt the pain because I couldn't lift myself out of bed; I had to lay on the floor. And I, but when I continued to train with it, being hard idiot that I am, thought that it'll get better. And when I finally had X-rays, my my whole sternum was snapped in half, and they told me the only way that was, I could fix it was like I had. I've had it now, but I had to have like open heart surgery. They had to move my heart over, and they had to wire my my sternum up together and I thought, wow. And how long would I, they, they said, you know, you'd be out for a while. But I said, well, how long would it take if I didn't? So told me six, nine months. So I, I just took that time off and um, yeah, I let it heal on its own without the operation because I was too scared. And I'll tell you the truth. I was too scared of having this massive scar that I have now anyway, because it's, it's hereditary. My family, my father had it and I've got it now. But that was the reason why I didn't have the operation when I was in my twenties, because I didn't want to have a massive scar down the front of my chest, which I have now. And you fought with that? Did it, did it affect you throughout your fighting, the fact that it had been broken? Uh, well, I, did, I didn't fight with it, I, but I, I sparred lots with it and it killed me. So I'd, there was nights where I'd go home and I could not, couldn't get it. I couldn't stay in the bed. I had to lay on the floor and had somebody help me because if I put my body on the side of the the bed, ah, oh, it was the worst pain I've ever felt in my life. Yeah, it was it was it was horrific pain. I've, you know, I mean, my hands my hands hurt me a lot. Don't worry about that. They throb and hurt me all night. But the the sharpness of the, the pain of the broken sternum was, was was pretty horrific. Jeff, you know, can I ask you? Um, obviously, after your your loss to Wazuma Nelson. You'd already won three world titles. You know, I mean, you were the first person undefeated to win three world titles, even before Roberto Duran. You know, they they couldn't do it. The Sugar Ray Leonard, all the great fighters, they couldn't do it. What was your motivation after losing to uh, Zuma Nelson to come back? And what what was the drive there? Like what? Yeah, of course, I lost. Were you one of the fourth still? Or well, of course, that's all I ever wanted. I wanted to win my fourth world title because mm. I knew I did and I knew I could. And um, you know, I'm. Um, the thing with me was now that I've got my world title 31 years later, um, when people ask me, um, yeah, listen, 
I won ten rounds out as well. It wasn't mm. a, it wasn't a close fight. No. And um, this is what we all got to realize, and we, we've got to nail this on the head. Had I won that fight, there's no rematch with the Zuma Nelson. So you know, yeah, he was on the way. Yeah, yeah, he's finished. If I, you know, but yeah, and there was no rematch clause. But my next fight, hopefully, was going to be against Pernell Whitaker moving up another weight division. So but all I'm saying is, um, yeah, again, everything happens for a reason. Like I said, those that the draw, then the loss, yeah, make, yeah. Make, makes me understand why I'm sitting with you guys here today and that's why I'm sitting here because who knows what it would have been if I was just big-headed four or five-time world champion so everything happens for a reason and like I said but um, just know one thing that all these people are saying oh what did he do to you in the second fight there's no problem what he done to me in the second fight I'll take my hat off to him I applaud him a great fighter one of the greatest in the history of the sport but there would be no second fight if, if, if the judges were just honest in the first fight oh, you know I remember being a kid and, and, and watching the first fight and Ferdy Pacheco, I think, was yeah, the commentator. Yeah, yeah. And, um, he gave it to him by seven or eight points, yeah, which but, but is unheard at of. Fir- you know? At first he was like, he'd swayed you know, his... Uh, his all, like, all, he, all he mentioned, I, I get I get messages, I know what you're going to say, all he mentioned was the Zuma Nelson, never, if I, I could have hit him with 20 punches, I didn't hit him at all. Yeah, and then... And then as the fight went on and on, he just... Who is this Australian? Yeah, 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 he realised that, yeah, what I'd done to Zuma Nelson. And for one of those guys to go against the person who's putting him in, that's Don King, by seven or eight points is... is Means I won more than seven. It was more than seven or eight points. And just yeah. for the record, too, Ferdy Pacheco was uh, had a lot to do with I think Muhammad Ali. Oh yeah, he was, um, he was around. So he was a well he was well reputed in the boxing industry. He was the biggest name in the sport. Yeah. And like the the raps that he gave Jeff, you know, towards the end of the fight, like he was so excited, like he was a kid, like seeing his first uh, first fight. It was amazing. Just yeah, it was, and it was pretty. You know, I've got to say, it was pretty special seeing. From a kid from Australia, you represent Australia. How much you your passion you had on a world scale? You know what I mean. Like um, we were only a small country back then, you know. And and to see that and then get ripped off and that. Like I remember, I think there was they had uh, Rose Hill Racecourse. They had the yeah, big things yeah, and, yeah. and stuff like that. that, was, that and brother, that had yeah. never been done before. Yeah, they, they had the race court race uh, courses yeah. um, with big big um, screen, screen yeah, TVs yeah. just to watch Jeff Fennick fight. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. You know what I, I mean? Remember like, the goatee, mate? You, were, mate, you looked amazing. You were chiselled for that Roberto fight. Duran. Mm. Yeah. Look, I, I, I do the rounds day, and I see people who own pubs back in the day, and they say the pubs are never the, no, never sure. are the same. You know, without a Jeff Fennick fight, they were, they were packed, you know. But you, what was it? Like, were your charisma? Why did you capture Australia, do you think, more than the I'll, most fighters? I'll like tell you those, why. I'll give an example. Yeah. Because when Floyd fought, and I love Floyd, I love mm. Floyd, but when Floyd fought Manny Pacquiao, mm. in their whole fight, 12 rounds between them, mm. they threw, I think, 390-odd punches. Mm. I did that my, my, on my own within yeah. three rounds. So yeah. People, yeah. people love action. People love to watch a fight. And I, yeah. I brought a fight. I took yeah. risk for reward. And, um, you know, even when I was winning, I still um, yeah. went out there all guns blazing. So there, there was, you know, you watched a, a fight for the whole, you know, for the whole, whatever it lasted, whether it was three rounds, five rounds, 12 rounds, 15. I thought that's what people love. People love, you know, people love watching old fights. You know? I, I don't know whether you know it or not, but I think you had a charisma too, like um, that sort of captured the Australian audience. Well, and it was. Oh, we love you at all. That's a catchphrase. Yeah, yeah. Everyone become a saying. Yeah, well, yeah, and I, and I do. Like I said, the, the, the greatest thing that, that, that's happened to me over the last month from my title, Russ, is that um, they feel they were there. United the it. country. Yeah, Bob Hawke united yeah, the country. Yeah, yeah. And your, your boxing career united 
It was like it was like far lap. Yeah, it was. Up Bob Hawke. That's the first time I've ever been booed after a fight. Because yeah. <laughs> I said, I the, the elections went around, vote Labor, Bob Hawke, and yeah, of course, up fifty fifty. But yeah, it was great. Bob Hawke was a great man. Great, that's man. great Australian. Amazing, like a seventeen year old kid can actually meet the the most powerful man in Australia. Like you know what I mean? Years later, obviously. Yeah. But you know, like that did that blow you away? Like. Yeah, a lot of things. Yeah, like yeah, my 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 career later on after I trained Tyson to meet the people I've met with Mike, like Donald Trump, and you know, um, in a restaurant one day and um, I met De Niro and stuff, and Al Pacino's in a restaurant in in, um, in West Hollywood. I'm thinking, man, I want to go and say hello to him. And the owner said, Mister Fennick, please, we don't want to drive any of our you know celebrities. No problem, no problem. So I understood that, you know. Um, so but when I was walking out, Al Pacino looks at me, sit down here, champ. So I sit down beside him, he starts talking to me, and that I end up giving him a pair of gloves and stuff. And um, well, my wife wasn't well. with me, but in the morning, my, my an email comes through. And Susie said, Jeff, Al Pacino's just sent you a, a message. And I said, What? And he sent me this beautiful message saying that my gloves are pride him, uh, on his on his bar at home. So, yeah, really good. I've met some great people, LeBron James and Charles Barkley, and a lot of, yeah, I've been, I've been blessed. Can I just touch on your friendship with Mike Tyson? Like it's made everyone talks about that Jeff Phoenix good mates. How did how did that eventuate? And my first time, Russ, I was um, in a little line, and I, was, I think it could have been eighty seven. I just won the runner up fighter of the world. Ray Leonard got the best, and I got the second. You know, but um, as I'm standing there, Mike Tyson walked. He looks at me, Jeff Phoenix. Oh, you're my favourite fighter. Gave me this biggest cuddle and stuff, and ever, ever since then, um, whenever I was anywhere near America and I knew where he was. I'd sniff him out and drive him mad and try to go and spend time with him. And then uh, we just become very, very close friends. And then I had fought on his undercard when I fought Nelson in Vegas and um, spent some amazing quality time with him where he'd come and see my, my little young son, Bo, when he was just being born. And, yeah, we'd done some crazy things. And like I said, um, he knows I'm loyal to him, um, you know. Uh, not that I threw the towel in, but there's been... Um, a million stories I could tell you about Mike and I where um, you know I've you know been 100% behind him and I always will be you know, and that's my life uh, my father taught me one thing my dad always said Jeff you go out with your friend you go home with your friend and um, I'll, yeah, that's 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 my that's my say. Yeah, you go out with your friend. You go home with your friend. Whatever happens to your friend, it's got to happen to you. So yeah, 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 yeah. beautiful. Yeah. What's what's he like? Like, could you if you were to yeah, describe Mike's, him? Yeah, Mike's like giving his examples like that light switch. Turn it on, it's on. You switch it off. It's he can be the beautiful guy in the world, but then he can also change. I mean, talking about great stories. I mean, you'd go out with Mike and about Kerry mm. being generous. Mike was similar. Mike would just see some bigger and just give him like, thousands of dollars. Please just go home. He had people that come and drive people mad at restaurants. He's given money. Please go home. I was sitting on a plane one day and we were um, heading overseas and and we we're on the plane 15, 20 minutes early. We we're sitting in first class and I fall, I've fallen asleep sitting beside him. I wake up as the plane takes off. I'm now sitting next to an old lady. Mike changed seats with her. You know, he's down the back in, in the corner. He put uh, an elderly lady in, in first class. So yeah, Mike's got an amazing heart and um, I think. His story might, may go down as the greatest in the history of any athlete, any sportsman, because for somebody who's been at the lowest, lowest low to be able to change his life around and be again where he is today, somebody who had like 50 million, whatever his post off had at the start, lost it all, went to jail for something that he that I believe he didn't do, and then you know, do what he's done now. It's just an amazing life story. It's, um, yeah, it's I can believe it because I know, but there's one day my wife and I went over, we just designed some gloves for him, some uh, Mike Tyson 
gloves. So I take them over there to show him. When I got to the house that he's supposed to be at, he was on a chair with a towel around him and just a towel with a chicken that had been there for days that was just black bones and that. And I'm trying to wake him up to show him and he was, I, Russ, I promise you, I walked out of the room or out of the house. We got into a, a car that, that took us there and I started to cry because I thought that I'm never going to see him again. He'd be dead. And Mike and I used to always talk, oh, if we live to 40, if we live to 45, like, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but, yeah, I've been through some amazing, amazing times with him and I've been through some really, really scary times where I thought, wow, you know, Mike said he'd get in trouble, he's going to be in jail, like when we were uh, overseas and Frank Warren uh, said you know, some some bullshit to Mike. Mike grabbed him, punched him in the eye, bust his eye socket and then, um, you know, threatened to throw him out the window and do something else to him that I'm sure would have hurt him more than the punch in the eye. It was like putting something in a, in a place that maybe <laughs> never been before. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was, yeah, so I've been around all that and, um, yeah, but like I said, um, to see... Where he is today from where he was on oh, many, peace. many occasions is, yeah, yeah, it's totally amazing. Um, hats off to his beautiful wife, Kiki, and he's got beautiful children. And, yeah, he's a, he's a, a very, very special friend if he's your friend. John Ibrahim talks about in his book and he said that he went over to meet and, and you took a bunch of street kids mm. and that and you took them on this flight purposely over there to meet him, over to meet him. And John, in, in his book, it was just uh, really well how he articulated and you took John to meet. To, to meet Mike Tyson and he left him there and he was he said John was saying he, he just loved watching cartoons and he said he's not yeah. every time I go there first, one of the first questions is how's John he'll always ask about John he had a yeah he had a great friendship with John I said um, John was we all know how smart John is um, I'll never forget that <laughs> I took John to another fight night where Tyson was fighting and Muhammad Ali and everybody was on stage and because Ali got up there they wouldn't let nobody on stage so I couldn't even get on there Look up there, right beside Ali's John. So I think, yeah, John, you still done it again. Hey, man, what was that? What's that show called where they, the, the guy just appears all over there? But yeah, I used to call John that that name, but he just the magician. Yeah, well, that was he would just appear. But yeah, John, yeah, huge Danny. Yeah, yeah, I've had some amazing times with John as well, and then yeah. we've travelled the world together. And uh, John's met Tyson, obviously through me and Ali, and yeah, it's been great. But um, you haven't strayed far from your roots. Like you're still mates, all on the knockabouts, all love ya. We hear in prison. We hear of those Jeff Fennick generosity stories. He's always got time. You never, you've never turned your back on those people from where you've grown up. Uh, without, like I said, I'll never forget. Well, I went to the Olympics, and it was those people who brought raffle tickets, who brought prizes or stuff, or who who helped me get there. I mean, like um, I'm going to mention this guy. Today. You know, Les Kalachi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Les was the first guy who donated my. Um, Australian title bill. Those guys yeah. went on to get in trouble, but we all get in trouble. I'm, I'm blessed that I found boxing, or else I'd most probably be. I would have been your cellmate, you know. And, uh, <laughs> you would have had the bottom bunk. Oh, I don't know about that, mate. Ras. <laughs> all right, all right. But anyway, but, uh, but whatever. I'm just saying. So I'm, I'm really, really blessed, yeah. and, and I know, you know, as, as much as those people have done things that are wrong, that most of those guys. Have the, have the greatest hearts in the world. Ask them to help anybody, and they're, they're always the first to put their in their pocket. Right? Maybe they never got their money from the right place, <laughs> but still, they're, they're they're not one little bit shy about about sharing it. That's for sure. And um, I'll never forget those people. I'll never forget where I came from. That's that was me. And um, that's why you appeal to the Australian public. I think you're that the battler that done well. You know, you're the battler that conquered your fears and your demons, and and everyone knows with you that that's a common knowledge. You could have went either way. Oh, without doubt. Like I said, um, 
had I not met Johnny Lewis, I know where I would be. I, was, well, I, I might be here talking about my time. Yeah, you, you, you might be yeah. the stick up. Well, <laughs> you know, well, it was the funny thing. I, ne- I never stole cars and stuff in, you know, in, my, in my life. All my friends stole cars. And, and Russell, I'll tell you this because I'm so proud of it. My friends, 365 days of the year, we would go and get money the best way we could, but they would smoke marijuana or they'd take drugs. And never once I've never had a smoke in my life. I've never had a drug in my life. I've never had a coffee in my life. And I'm really, mm. really proud of it. Like I said, because mm. I'll tell you about stories about Mike Tyson. So mm. we're with all these people, these guys that are billionaires, and we're just about to leave to go to all these parties. And we jump in the car and I'm all excited, all these Pamela Andersons, everybody's going to be in this, wow. these parties. And I'm, oh. And then they start smoking <laughs> weed and they start doing cocaine in the car. Mm. So I, get, I make them stop the car on the ex, one of those big expressways in Los Angeles. I get a car and go back to my room, you know. I'm, I, I don't mm. do it. I, and I won't mention any other guys, but mm. Australian celebrities are the same. My wife and I have been to parties. As soon as I see that, I walk out. I mean, mm. there's not there's not a person that's ever had a smoke in my house with me knowing. There's not a person that's done a drug in my house with me, without me knowing. Cole Sandlins, who I love, whenever he comes, my wife has a special ashtray that's sitting out the back. He'll have a smoke outside. You know, I just, I'm just deadly against it. I'm so proud of it because when they're trying to do my life story at the moment, they want to make up these stories about me having these parties and mm. all these people doing drugs. Listen, I want you to tell these these people the truth that no, if I went to a party they were doing, I, I walked out. I don't, I don't, I don't. Yeah. I remember you yeah. did the 80, uh, 87 campaign or whatever. Yeah, not yeah yes, drugs. I did. Yeah, yeah. well, my house got egged yeah. every day, and <laughs> yeah, I did the yeah. the anti drug. You, know, you, oh, you got a great memory. And little Garfoot was in it with me as well. Mm. It was um, just say no to drugs. Oh, do- oh sorry, it was, which was worse way. Maybe I didn't know what the, what the heading was going to be back then, but it was dobbing a drug dealer. Oh, and, yeah, so <laughs> the, the, the people yeah. people there who didn't like me. Yeah, yeah. but your work, your name. Like you know, your name's never been associated with being a dog. It's never well, been well, it, and it never will be. But like no, I said, um, no. the, the thing that I that I think of Russ, it's like um, I was just around people who'd done it every day. Like I said, I, every person I take to Mike Tyson's house, whether they've had a smoke <laughs> or not, if he tells them they have they'll smoke to me. Never, I mm. won't go. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be with me. Hey, Mike's the same. He smokes every day. I'll never. I walk. Like, yeah, I'll never join in. I just, I just. John talks about how he crippled him. He yeah, said, I'm well, have, cri- he's he- crippled a few. <laughs> <laughs> he's got to the carry people out of the house, yeah. What's your, what's your craziest Mike Tyson story you can tell, Jeff? Uh, I've got plenty, but I'll tell you what, this one little story, like we used to sit in the garage where Mike had all these pigeons and he, he would smoke his weed there, you know, and um, he would be telling me these stories about some of he had these rollers, how these pigeons would... Crash and hit the ground. Every, uh, yeah, and I but, but I said to him, "There's two Mike, different breeds or something." Yeah, but yeah, but, yeah. but no, these pigeons know what they're doing. They they roll all their lives. And Mike, you don't think that you smoking that weed in there twenty four seven? These fucking things are stoned. Yeah. They don't know when to stop. These pigeons, these pigeons are stoned. Yeah. They hit the ground. The pigeons know when to stop. They how far off are they? They're not stupid. They, that's why they live. That's why they're called rollers. Yeah, yeah but yeah, but yeah, but, but, like I said, but um, that yeah, like I said, I mean, the day that he um. He built with Frank Warren was a, a really scary day for me because I thought that he'd go to jail and then I know they didn't pay him anything for his fight because of that and I've heard stories over recent years where Frank Warren has totally made up a new story but like I said, I was the person who stopped Frank Warren from running because as he was running around the table, Mike couldn't catch him because he had socks on and Mike, stop him Jeff, <laughs> so I stand in front and I, I regret stopping him because, um, well, he still would have caught him eventually but um, and uh, yeah, but I do... Say that I was very, very proud because Mike smashed a vase and me and Tommy Brooks, Mike's other trainer, had to hold the hand as he was trying to squash his broken Shit. vase into the side of Frank Warren's head. So Frank Warren should like me, not hate me because I stopped him. So, but yeah. um, you know, yeah. 
Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Fuck, mate. Like that that friendship took a, a, a like I know a lot of like some friendships uh, like underworld friendships and stuff like that. But you 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 and Mike just have this friendship that people yeah, but, envy. Well, you know what the thing is also, and I'm going to say this: a lot of the the coloured guys and they liked me around Mike. There were there were heaps of times I'd go to the gym when this was before I was his trainer, and they would never let me in. And when Mike would find out. Wow, then they were in trouble. And he let him in. You know, you know, they, I don't know why, why they, I don't know if it was, you know, why they didn't want me in there. But, also they didn't, but like I said, Mike trusted me more than anybody. Mike would give me a stack of money, I didn't even count it, but just he'd say, Can you put this in the, and I'd put it in the safe. So when he wanted it, was there, you know. Yes. Uh, and there, was, there was never a dollar missing. If anything, there was more money put there because, yeah, I, I always looked after Mike. Was there ever a moment, Jeff, in your, like, throughout your life where you've thought, wow, like it's sort of almost been like a moment where you've thought, I've come to this level, like. Yeah, yeah, I don't mm. know, because I'm pretty normal. Mm. Like just the other day I seen Andre Agassiz talking at the airport and he had his shoes off just laying the thing and he didn't want to take no photos. And for me that was, that was fine, you know, but um, mm. me, um, if there's a, if I walk out of here thing, there's a lineup that, that'll keep me here till tomorrow, one in the morning, I'm mm. gonna sign every autograph oh, because well. I don't have a house without those people. If their parents didn't pay to watch me fight, I don't have a house. So I'm never going to forget that part of my life or that be be grateful for the people who, who made me who I am. Oh, yeah. Without fans, you're nobody. And, um, yeah, so, um, yeah, the, the fans are everything to me. And if I can give – like I had a message today, this guy, Jeff, I want to send a glove. How much money do I have to give? I said, listen, just send me the glove. Yeah, you don't need to pay me. No, I don't need no money. This without you guys, who am I? So just send me the glove. I'll send it straight back. I don't. I don't charge people for autographs and gloves and stuff like that. If I've got them, I'll give them. If I don't, they'll just send it to me. And then I'm more than happy to to sign them with whatever they want. I'm more than happy to. So I've been asked a hundred times to be on, on whatever they call those cameos where you you talk. I would never make somebody pay me to say happy birthday or yeah. I love you or say hope somebody gets well. That's I owe that to the people, so um, yeah, they'll never be a part of that. And even though they say, yeah, you, know, you can give your half of the charity, and the other half's going to you. You're not my charity. Yeah, my charity is my charity. I look after a lot of charities, and I do. Yeah, you know, I've earned millions of dollars for different charities, and I, I love doing that. I love doing that. that's my my aim in my life today is to be able to be somebody that not that nobody else knows because I don't do this for any. That I just know. That, that every day that I can help somebody, I'm going to help somebody. Every day that I can help anybody, I'm going to help them. I sort of noticed, like from what you're saying, there's been a, it seems like a, a lot of growth. And in retrospect, you've sort of after your career, you've sort of thought, you know, if after the loss, you've sort of went from being disappointed to actually saying yeah, it's the best well, thing. So you know, Russ, I want to tell you something. And, uh, well, this is going to be the first time I've ever brought this up on any podcast because it's really, really close to me. I grew up with Johnny Lewis, yeah. Terry Ball, all those guys, all yeah. the, the hardest, Nettie, all, all those people. Oh, my friends, Dan Smith, all of them, all of them, are my friends, Leslie Maher, a great man, you know, all of my great. And it, it was all this core, your mate's name, whatever, just, just about loyalty, mate. The, 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 some of the, the people who I've helped them and, and paid the deposits for their houses off and stuff, being you know, my best friend in the world, I learned that shit. They don't like me at all. I'll never forget. I got into it. A little bit of a scuffle with with my best friend in the world. I remember. I, I know. Yeah, because yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. but my best friend in the world, mm. who I took with Kerry Packer, mm. who I got him his job, who I, mate, he he, uh, well, didn't attack, but he was the person who was who was the aggressor in this. The, I grabbed him, I, I choked him out, but I ended up 
punching him in the chest with my, my hand bounced off his chest, hit him in the mouth, knocked one of his there. He left me in jail all that night. He's my best friend. I'm, mm. I'm, everything that he owns is, and I'll say that without it, it was because of me. Yeah. You know, and he left me in jail. And when I sit down and think about that, and then we, and then when I got sick overseas, um, he came to visit me and. We, we mended things, which was great, which still I've always got this down in my head because I, I know what we went through earlier. I did tell you the story about um, me getting a visit by uh, a couple of police about a certain incident. Yeah. And um, when I, I, because I rang this person up just to, to let him know, he's never spoke to me since hmm. because, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I mean. That had hurt, man, yeah? Yeah, yeah, it kills, yeah, it kills, you know what I mean? Because you're a loyal guy, yeah, man, you're a no, giving there's, person. There's no punch Nothing that I've ever been through that that hurt me more than that. And like I said, I try to explain to my trainer, Johnny Lewis, when I said, Johnny, you you would tell me if, if your friends, if, if I'd done that, if I was that person and I'd done that to one of your friends in the day, I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't be here. If I accused somebody of being a dog or whatever, what hurt me the most was that, that Johnny's still as close. Johnny taught me that those the, those lessons and and, 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 and the morals yeah. and then betrayed me on all of them and that's one of the reasons why I never spoke to Johnny for a while. Mm. Look, I'm so, so happy that I am speaking to him and I've mm. been able to push those things aside but still, I, I bring them up because it hurts me because, you know, like, you know, when somebody teaches you something, when somebody tells you this is this is how the world's operating, this is the motto of the world, this is how you live and that's, then they betray you on it. was really, really hurtful, Russ, and it still hurts yeah. me today. You can take physical pain, yeah. You can take physical pain, but that, um, that, that, that sort the of... Emotional and mental yeah. pain is the hardest to take. Yeah. Yeah. I want to touch on one thing because at one the Australian public, your friendship with Con, you know. Yeah. Speak to him every day. I'd love to ring him now for if you. If you heard what he'd say this now, it'd be crazy. Yeah. And how did that, how did that kick off? Where did it come yeah, from? Yeah, well, Russ, when I was young, so I'm going to tell you the true story. We always to be at the footy park at Marnie Park and... Because he lived in Maryland, he'd just be there walking around all on his own, alone, just, you know, and we would stir him up and people would mm. like kind of, yeah, we were mm. big on him and they, Now, they, Con's, a, I just want to establish for the listeners, Con's a disabled kid, yeah? He's yeah. Got, he's got, what, what? Well, disability. He's got a disability, but let me tell you what, the, the, they think the cause was that when he was a, a young baby, he went to normal school, but when they pulled the him out with the calipers, the, yeah. they, they damaged his nervous system. So after all that, I was only in St Peter's Inn. When I finally moved to Maryville, I used to go to the Maryville pool and he was there every day and I just fell in love with him. So every morning I'd pick him up, take him with me to the gym, take him to my house, look after him, feed him and not let anybody do anything to him anymore. And I end up taking him to every fight that I've had, I've taken him to Las Vegas where I have to clean him, physically, yeah, yeah, shower him, wipe his backside, do everything. And let me tell you, when he goes to the toilet, he goes to the toilet. <laughs> right? yeah. But like I said, I've never changed my, my, any of my own kids' nappies. But I, like I said, Con's different to me. I love him and I know that he can't do it. Mm. There's somebody at my house that will do it for my mm. kids, mm. which you know, might sound bad, but that's, I know, that's my wife's job. And uh, she's you know, signed up for that. But I love Con and um, yeah, to this day, I speak to him every single day. Sometimes I speak to him 20 times a day. Um, he's changed my life. The, the greatest thing that ever happened to me. Um, what did Con teach you? Uh, just that we're all the same. You know, it, Russ, if I ring him now and I ask him every fight that I've had, just I, all I have to do is say, Ruh, and he'll tell me who it is straight away. I mean, he's this kid who's supposed to have a problem. Yeah. You know, he's but, a savant, a boxing oh, savant. He's got this mad memory. He knows everything that we've done all, all our lives. And he's he's like glue. He, you, you just Once you're around him, you, you just want him to be around you. He makes you happy. He makes you laugh. He'll just come out with things that, you know, how, did he, how did he think of that? How did he say that, you know? He just, yeah, he's just the most beautiful kid in the world. And maybe maybe the out of, if, I, if I can pick... Out of my four-wheel titles and con, I'd pick him to have him as my friend any day of the week. Yeah. 
Jeff, yeah. um, you said before that um, you would have preferred to play first grade than win a world title. Who was your first, your favourite uh, first grade of all time like, yeah, well, I, in the NRL? I, of course, I, I supported Newdown growing yeah. up, but then then when Newdown, yeah, I went to Parramatta. You know, shit, well, I can name all the Newdown teams like from Phil Seasworth to, you know, to Kenny Wilson to mm. you know, Mark Wright, Steve Costa, the Ray Blacklock, and. Uh, you know John Fergus on the wings. I oh, know the whole thing, but then um, you know to the Dawson brothers who were in the second row back then. But then I, I loved Parramatta. I loved Ray Higgs. Yeah, he was a good little. He was just well, a tackler. I loved yeah. Ray Price. Loved Sterlo. Yeah, and yeah, I've been blessed to been able to have an association. Been able to. Do Our mate loves you. Lids, Lids, Lids loves you. Tell stories. Yeah. Lids, yeah, Tells a few yeah, stories. Can't wait to get his shirt off, Lids. Yeah, oh, can't yeah. But like I said, his Lids, I mean, you know, he was at a bit of a low. And I was only with Tony Chalmers last night. And he said, Jeff, you, know, you helped me train when I needed it, put a couple of years of, onto my first grade career, which which was enormous. Just the other day, after this, um, my belt, I get a call from um, one of the, the greatest, um, Wayne Pierce. He said, Jeff, it's me to know how much you motivated me. And, you know, yeah, so to get them calls, well, from rugby league players makes me feel more special than anything else. So yeah, it was, I bumped yeah. him. I bumped him the other day. I bumped uh, Junior the other day, and he still looks good enough to play. Yeah, Top yeah. bloke, great. He guy. professionalised rugby league, didn't oh, he? Without without doubt. Well, him, Bradley Clyde, Sterling. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. yeah not Sterling. But I mean, Sterling was he wasn't the, the guy that trained like yeah. Junior or, or um, you know or, or uh, Bradley Clyde, but Wayne Pierce was you know three steps ahead of anybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah I thought without so. doubt, without mm. doubt. Yeah, I spoke to him the other day, him and his wife Terry. Terry works with yeah. troubled kids, beautiful people, and I hope to do a bit of work with him down the track. Yeah. What's the future goals, Jeff? My goals are today just to, to be a good person, to yeah, to make sure that I you know, I, I mix with good people because if you mix with good people, good things happen, you're not going to get in trouble. So I've done that over the last few years, been blessed to be around Mark Boros a lot and Joe Molinari and Anthony Louisa, some big business people, and yeah. That's beautiful. What, what do you think you're passionate about these days? Um, yeah, I'm passionate about giving back and helping others. I'm passionate about, yeah, just being honest. Like I said, I did the, I did the commentary of the fights last night. The fight was shit, so I said, I'm not sure if I'll have a job, but um, <laughs> I just, you know, so if it, um, I can't I can't fake things. If, it, if it's black, it's black. If it's white, it's white, you know. I did a talk a, a few a week ago with um, Timmy Payne and um, Sammy Newman. I said, the Hear Sam Newman talk was just unbelievable. I mean, if anybody wants to listen to the, the best after-dinner speaker you've ever heard and you want to have a laugh and you want to go back to the, the, the way the world really was and should be, listen to Sam. I mean, we, we you got all, all us other guys who are trying to, you know, cover up racism and not talk about colours or anything else. Or But hey, Sam well, Sam just said it the way it was. It was the, one of the best lunches I've ever had was yeah, down in Tasmania was or at Launceston. But just to hear Sam, yeah, just to be honest, it's, yeah, that's that's all we need to be in the world. We need to be honest, you know. And if everybody's honest, the world's going to be a much better place. And listen, there's one disease, there's, there's one drug we just need to get rid of. Once we get rid of that drug, then the world is a much better place. It's called jealousy. Okay. You get rid of that, 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 mm-hmm. that little thing called jealousy where everybody's a little bit envious of everybody else and mm-hmm. instead of everybody else trying to help everybody and give everybody your ideas how you became successful so they can become successful, the world will be a better sure. place. Oh, definitely. In your fight career too, I found that you were more charismatic than a lot of fighters, and that's why you got the the public behind you. You know, um, you know, you just had that appeal, and and for me, I it felt like there was a sense of destiny there. Um, you know, there was Lester Ellis before, but he didn't get any way near as the publicity you sort of uh, you sort of got. Yeah, Lester could fight too, but like I said, I mean, everybody's different. I mean, like I said, and we all have 
different um, engines. We all have different mindsets. And like I said, um, for me, I tell everybody, forget about heart. Everybody's got the same size heart. It's it's If you've done the work, it's your mindset. If you've got a good head, then you're going to be good at whatever you want to be. This this is first from the head, then from the heart. Bryce Courtney, the, the famous author from Power of One, he wrote me a letter once. He said, son, it's first from the head, then from the heart. And I'm not that... I needed him to remind me, but I've always said that my heart's the same size as everybody else's. It's my it's my mental capacity, knowing that I've done the work, knowing that I've been there and done it before. That's that's what gets me over the line. We um I've had Mark Burris on on the show, and I've been on his straight talk champion bloke, one of the best, one of the, the best. He's a guy I've met. He, I felt like I've known him for twenty years. I have to speak to him for five minutes, but he talks about boxing is very much like business. Well, the sacrifice if you fucking if you if you don't if you're not fully prepared, you're going to get hurt. What you and, and the mindset of getting you get knocked on your ass, you get back up. Do you think so? That you think? Oh, I, I I say this, guys. I've trained some of like, from Max Markson, who looks he's got bags under his eyes, like you know. But when you train them, fucking effort that he gave, Kerry Packer, every son, I want to do this also. Me, my my famous famous line is it's a, it's better to be a little bit underdone than overdone. If you burn the engine out, the engine you can't fix it. If it's Underdone, we can push it a little bit more. So, but all the all these amazing bits, like Mark, Mark's the hardest trainer you've ever been around. Like you know, Mark and another friend of mine, Joe Molinari, they will compete against each other. You know, like and they're both in their sixties. I mean, I I'm guaranteeing I can't do what they done. I'm just crazy. I like, am, um, yeah. And, and it's that mindset, but it's that business mindset. If you're if you're successful of anything, you can you can move on and do something else. I'm, I I have all the confidence in the world that a lot of these people that you see that don't think they can do things it's just a mindset my first thing that I do Russ when I train anybody is a, my first session is a mind session I tell them what we're going to do and how we're going to do it and how we're going to build up to, to getting from here to here I'm not going to start you here and then t- think I'm going to get you any, any further I'm not going to start you at, at 95% I'm going to start you at 10 or 15% so all of a sudden you say shit I'm at 20 I'm at 25 I've got more and then then you grow with it and, then, and like I said for me the most important part of me training anybody is, is getting them mentally right if I can get them mentally right then they're ready to do the work, you know? That was a part of yours. But I looked at yours, man, and I used to look at your eyes and just I could tell this bloke ain't going to get beaten. Mm. Just that your eyes told a story. I didn't believe it. You just it wasn't in you weren't getting beaten, man. Mm. You just weren't getting beaten. Like yeah, no other athlete I've ever seen, could. you could tell what's going on in their head. What Jeff, what would you tell a, a, um, a young 20-year-old Jeff Fennick now, right if you had the opportunity? You know, he's fighting the first station Shingaki for the, his first world title. What would you tell him? Preparation. You go out and do the work. Know that you've done what, what you need to do. Do it over and over again. And then, then there's, you know, like I said, um, there's always going to be a time. Like in the first round against when I fought Victor Kalajic, he hits me with a, with a left uppercut that knocks me out. But I'm standing up. My my my, my first round, my hands drop to my side. I'm, my whole body's limp. And um, thank God. The, the switch came straight back on really quickly, got my hands back up and was able to do it. But the, in, in, in that moment, you think, far out, do I want to be here? Of course I want to be here. My first, well, you asked the question, my, my first answer was, ah, oh, that bastard hit me, I'm going to smash him back now. That's my turn. Now it's my, you, you've hit me. The other people, wow. So it's, it's all, it's, Instinctive. It's, just, it's such a mental game. Yeah. And that's, that's what, if I would have said, oh, shit, this guy hurt me, oh, no, and what am I up for? The rest? Then... I'm mm. going to lose that fight, yeah. but that's that wasn't the yeah. the message that I gave myself. My mm. message was, "Pass, you just hit me. I'm going to yeah. show them. I'm going to hit him twice as hard. I'm going to show them that it didn't hurt me." Yeah. And that was my that was my mental 
a lot of the time because yeah. the uh, in in the eighties and that the fighters had a lot more experience and yeah it was always you coming from behind with a big motor to to come over the top. I remember listening to it on radio. I think um, Max Gibson was it Max Gibson? No, 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 no. Mike, Gibson Mike Gibson was um, was commentating and we'd be listening to it and it's like you know like this guy's a, you know Jeff Fennick's going to lose his time because you know, he, you know and this guy's too going to be too good and and then you come home with a wet sail in the in the fourteenth round or whatever you know what I mean like and and you, everyone even my father my mother were all hang, listening on the radio and hanging on to you know. You winning, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah, I was pretty lucky that um, I, I, when I fought, I stopped the nation. So, the, you know, like, I had nuns would come and speak to me in, at the pubs when I was signing things. They couldn't come in, but I'd go out. And so, yeah, you know, it was. Um, I appealed to everybody because of, again, my who I was that guy that came from nothing and became somebody, which is which appeals to everybody. But like I said, then I made some mistakes in my life that I'm, that I'm not that I'm happy with. But like I said, um, I'm always the first to put my hand up and say that I've made a mistake and yeah. I want to correct it. I'm, I've tried to do that in my life. And um, yeah, we all make mistakes. And for me, it's not about how you make the mistakes. It's how you um, how you try to correct them and, and be, a better, be a better person for them and hopefully teach other people not to make the same mistakes you made. And you know, I hope I can do that throughout my life as well. The, the fight with Zoom and Nelson, the first one, you actually look like you look like Roberto Duran. Was that was the Gaudi and that in honour of? Yeah, 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 yeah. Fuck, you look yeah, fit, mate. Yeah. Your six pack. I remember you were sponsored by Reebok at that yeah, time. Yeah, Reebok a bit massive for me. Yeah. You put Reebok on the map in Australia. Yeah, well, you wouldn't believe. It. Um, I went to um, Oxford Street where John, you know, the, the clubs are, and um, I was sponsored by Tiger. And um, Reebok had the opening. They invited me. And I made this bullshit story of how much money Tiger will give me. They give me a quarter of it. <laughs> yeah. I ended up getting a deal with Reebok, so I left Tiger, but I got a massive deal with them. Then I got oh, bigger cool. and bigger. Yeah, it was great, yeah. I've still got the books. I was on their world yeah, cover of their magazines worldwide, yeah. Mate, it's been an absolute honour and a pleasure having you on the stick up. It's, it's very rare you get to meet a hero. <laughs> Well, let me see. I didn't bring any money or credit cards. Though. I wouldn't get stuck up gun, on time I leave this place. The guns and balaclavas. I'll, I'll tell you what, next year I'm, we're releasing uh, the stick-up balaclavas and I'll, right. I'll make sure we send a box over That'd to you. That'd be great. But no, listen, um, I was excited about coming. I couldn't wait to come here. And um, yeah, I just hope that when people listen to what I what I talk about, they know that I'm just real. I mean, like I said, I've been there. I've been the top. I've been kicked in the guts. I'm still, it still, it still happens today. But um, I'm really, really proud to be able to say that... Um, I'm Jeff Fennick and, I, and I, yeah, I've got a set of rules that I've stuck by all my life and I'll never change them. Can you give us a I love yous all? I love yous all. <laughs> Two people united this country like no other and that was you and Bob Hall. I don't need people, I just need to know that the people who are close to me, the people who know me, if I've left them a, some positives and I've helped them, that, that's what matters. So like I said, I'm, I'm not big on worrying what people say about me because like I said, you're always going to, have your critics, you know, the people who love you, and um, yeah, um, yeah the, and the people who, who love you or hate you, they, m- most of the time they don't even know who you are. Mm. You know, like I said, you know, they, they believe what they read, they believe mm. you know, other things, and like I said, um, you're the perfect hey, example, brother. You're the perfect yeah, the example. million and one shot, yeah, they yeah, say about yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, did you ever think you'd be doing this? Never. Pinch myself. Mm. Jeff Fennick, thanks for having you on the stick up.